Hey, folks, welcome back to the DC three cast. My name is Brian. With me this week is Zach. Vince is not here. Maybe he'll be here later. We don't quite know yet, but we're going to be talking about the comics coming out on uh, February 8th, 2022, starting with Black Manta number six. This is written by Chuck Brown and is illustrated by Matthew Dow Smith. Now, Zach, we have not talked about this book since issue two on the show. And since issue three, Matthew Dow Smith has done the majority of the work instead of Valentine Delandro. Now, I am a fan of both artists, but what do you think of Matthew Dow Smith's art? Um, I I mostly like it a lot. I actually think it's a pretty good um, match for um, the the first artist you mentioned. What, what was uh, Valentine Delandro? Delandro, yes. I I think that they are similar enough that it's not jarring in the way that like some other artist handoffs are. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that um, Smith's art is a little bit um, easier to follow in some ways uh, than Delandro's was like, especially in those early issues. Um, but I, I like them both th- uh, fairly equally, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to remember now which I should look this up before the show. I'm gonna look it up now. Matthew Dow Smith did one of the um, DC events we talked about. It was, was it uh, Final Night, maybe. No, I think it was Day of Judgment. It was Day of Judgment, correct? Yes, and I really like the art in that. So, uh, yeah, this is a welcome return for me. And I feel like, like you said, their their handoff was relatively smooth between them. It's not it's not a jarring change of. Uh, change of artist here um so did you catch up on all these issues or did you dive right into number six i did just dive in i kind of had intentions of trying to catch up but i i didn't um and um i i i kind of wish that i had a little bit because you know i think the book that we've been paying a lot more attention to is aquaman the becoming with it being kind of uh, you know it being an aquaman book and uh, being more in the forefront, even though both of these books are are going to be leading into Aquaman, mm-hmm. um, but we we've definitely kept up with that one more. But it seems like this one is doing uh, more interesting things, I would say, um, by tying in this magic angle. It's very interesting to see um, Doctor Mist and the Gentleman Ghost showing up. <laughs> yes, um, I would not have. Pages. I would not have anticipated that going into yeah. this. <laughs> Uh, but no, so I, I did catch up uh, last week on all of these issues. And I have to say, the book has remained a consistently good title the whole time, especially, like we said, going through an artistic change and then a change back because Delandro came back for number four and five or just maybe number five. And so it's, you know, it, but it, it reads as a pretty seamless story. I think it did a good job of making Black Manta not a hero. Like, I think sometimes w- when we get these books that try to recontextualize a villain into a heroic role, it becomes just really over the top and doesn't feel natural. Whereas this felt at least to me like a more natural type of that story. Do you agree that this that this presented him as the protagonist, but maybe not as a hero pretty well? Yeah, I think so. Um yeah, I, I would agree with that. Kind of, you know, very kind of anti-hero ish, but still not quite as um, 
respectable as that that moniker has come to you know sure yeah to denote yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um this was uh the the magic stuff was really interesting here i think that the supporting cast that they built out for black manta is pretty interesting i liked the idea of um what's the villain's name it's something ray he wants to say devil ray devil ray thank you the devil ray i think that him being one of like manta's former goons is both like relatively predictable but also handled really well and i think that the idea of like black manta failing to live up to the promise that he had set for uh you know for his minions is an interesting sort of origin place for this villain I, think I, have the, a, I have a question about that that sure. you can maybe add some context to having read the whole series. Mm-hmm. Um, there's that line where Devil Ray says, I, I just wanted what you promised, a black paradise. And I, I didn't know if I was supposed to read that as like a black paradise because he is Black Manta or if it's more of like a, a like if this was kind of a, if the promise behind Black Manta was more like racially charged. Because it's it's kind of a weird statement, just without context. Yes, I I I took it as meaning both. Okay, but it's never like specifically, explicitly stated. Okay, at least as far as I remember reading through it. Um, okay, because I because like on the one like saying like a black paradise with black being like the adjective of like black manta like a a, a black manta paradise that's kind of that's a little corny. Um, right, right. But, but I, I feel like a much more interesting angle would be like if it was more of kind of like a, and uh, this is kind of like a, a cringe comparison to make, I feel like, but almost kind of like a, a Wakandan type thing, right. like in, in terms of comic book parlance, if like, um, you know, Black Manta had these like ambitions to kind of make like a, a, black dominant society you know under the ocean or something that that's kind of a very interesting idea i think yeah i don't disagree with that i think that's i think that's a fun idea um i don't know um but yeah it's uh i think this is a really fun series i think it's a it's a nice setup for the aquaman series i'm excited to catch up next week with the becomings that we can get a full, you know, a, a full prep for that new series. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I'm, I'm really excited about the status quo. Yeah. Uh, are you still feeling the status quo? I think so. Like, it just kind of, it really remains to be seen, I think, because I feel like Aquaman has had so many interesting status quos of late, but they always kind of get brushed under the rug or maybe don't get the chance to grow as well as I, as I maybe kind of wish that they would. And I really liked the Dan Abnett and stuff and and what I read of the Kelly Sue stuff. And Mm I, I've enjoyed these two mini series well enough, but not as much nearly as much as either of those two runs. And I'm really just kind of, I'm a little trepidatious that like this creative team is going to get the chance to build out something as robust as that. But 
I think maybe that that's just me being overly cautious. I, I am really excited to see what they do. Cause I, I mean, I've not read as much um, of, is it Gary Brown? Is yes. the writer? Yeah. Chuck Brown. Chuck, sorry, Chuck Brown. Gary Chuck Brown is Brown, the artist. Yeah. 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 I've never read, I've not read a lot of Chuck Brown, but I have really enjoyed a lot of what Brandon Thomas has been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm hopeful. I think it's really interesting that one of the things that DC has done post 5G is like the or post post the avoidance. Uh, what is it? Averted? Averted. Yeah. <laughs> after 5g was averted is kind of the opposite of the new 52 where with the new 52 there was this sense of we have too many characters with the same names running around there's one flash there's one batman you know those sorts of things this very much feels like you know what let's get everybody with this type of of story and let's put them all together into something that makes logical sense for everybody as a as sort of a group book. That's why, you know, the Green Lantern book features so many different lanterns. It's why, you know, we see one Flash and Justice League Incarnate that's different than the Flash in the Flash book, and we have a Flash on the Suicide Squad team. Like, there's just... It seems like DC is really embracing the wider idea of their characters and the legacy of their characters. And as you know, that is just... That is like Brian Nip. That's what I want out of comics all the time. So I'm I'm really enjoying that. But this seems like a really interesting way to do that. I, I, I don't recall a series that isn't set in Themyscira being this um this inclusive of an entire corner of the DC universe. Wait, say that again. Like I feel like we've seen Wonder Woman books before that kind of like they are set on Themyscira and they they feature all of the Wonder Woman characters like under one title. Right. This I can't remember a book that feels this inclusive of a non Themyscirian like segment like this so far. Oh, OK, they're okay. saying this, you this, you know, yeah. this is both Aquaman. This is Black Manta. Yes. They said uh-huh. Tempest is going to be in it like this is this is the Atlantis book. Right. I can't yes. remember the last time they did something quite like this. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, you know, it feels like Aquaman is kind of like the last sort of, you know, expansive DC property that has a legacy to kind of get this treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, I may be wrong on that, but I, I really can't think of any, any other, um, even, even Hawkman, you know, kind of got a very like all inclusive run pretty recently from yeah. Vanity. Um, Whereas Aquaman has typically been pretty focused on just Arthur. Um, I I guess kind of like the Abnet run that was set primarily in Atlantis, that section of it is maybe kind of the one that, uh, the one exception to that. But even even that was still not as um, broad in scope as this seems to be. No, because that one didn't really have, occasionally Jackson showed up in that book. Mm Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like they, they weren't. I don't know if it, it felt like there weren't as many co-leads on that title. Right. I'm very excited about this. Yeah, I, I am very excited about it. So um, let's move on from there and let's jump over to 
Uh, the next part of Shadows of the Bat in Detective Comics 1052, written by Mariko Tamaki, illustrated by Max Rayner. Um, so, Zach, I want to pose a question to you at the start of this. Why did why are we getting the last half of the last issue in the first half of this issue again? I was really confused by that in that I wasn't sure if this was what if this was a separate incident. And, and I realized pretty quickly that it was the same one mm-hmm. just told from Meridian's perspective. And that's, that's pretty, pretty bad. I think um, I don't think it's a good thing that that happened. No, I mean, we have been talking about how this has started to feel a little bit decompressed and maybe repetitive. At least I have felt that way. Yeah. And, you know, I think when, when this, when the first issue starts off, so when the next issue starts of literally repeating the beats of the last issue, I don't understand how you can't think this has fallen off a little bit to, to, to borrow a phrase from Vince. Yeah, it. I think it has. It, it definitely has. I, you know, I'd already said that a little bit from like an artistic standpoint last issue and this issue kind of um, kind of cements that I. I don't. There's not really a lot that I like here, unfortunately. Um, like, I still feel like the psycho pirate angle is very interesting, and and the way he's manipulating things behind the scenes is is really neat. But there's there's almost nothing new in this issue, other than they find out, you know, where the party crashers hideout is. Yeah, that's that's pretty much the only one I can think of. Yeah, that that's sort of new here. Um, you know, I do like the interaction between the members of the Bat family here. Mm-hmm. Like, I will always enjoy those scenes of Kate and Babs and Steph and Cass and Dick. Like, all that is good. I like I like all of that stuff. I just don't know if that's enough to get me through this issue. Yeah, yeah. And, you know. We're still like at day 19, you know, we haven't moved any further. Um, and, you know, we've kind of got like two, two chapters left in this second act. And uh, I, I don't know. I just, I, yeah, it's, it's a little disappointing. What did, what do you think of Max Rainer's art now that we are uh, two issues into his run here? I think it's fine. You know, it's nothing. It's like technically very good. It's it's not bad by any means. I, I kind of find the coloring a little garish. So I was actually looking up right now if the colorist has changed from Ivan Reyes to here, because I, I had the exact same thought that I feel like the coloring is really an it, it is a much different feel than we were getting just a few issues yeah. ago. So this is Luis Guerrero. And let and... me see. Uh, it was Brad Anderson doing the Ivan Reyes stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah. So that was a lot more. Um, it was muted. still like very colorful, but it was much more muted. Yeah. In, yeah. A, in a style that kind of reminded me of um, whoever did the coloring for um, for. Um, Eddie Barrows on like the the tiny Tekron. It reminded me a lot of oh, that. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, there's just not a ton to say about this installment. 
And it's funny because actually uh, it'll be a week after the listeners um, hear this, but there is a, I am, I wrote something for this month in comics for multiversity about how I really like the idea of weekly comics and how this is a good argument for that. Uh, (laughs) Because what I said was that even if you don't like each week, you're usually given enough each week to sort of um, keep you coming back for more next week. And then I read this issue and was like, shit, I just lied about all of Oops. <laughs> yeah, not exactly what I wanted to say. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I, I did like the backup a bit more yeah, this so, week still. So let's talk about that because Vince never reads that. Um, yeah, but this is how this House of Gotham by Matthew Rosenberg and Fernando Blanco. Uh, the Blanco art continues to be chef's kiss emoji. Good stuff. Uh, what did you like about this issue particularly? Um, so I I liked I I really liked the introduction of Jason here. Yes. And the way he's used both at the beginning and kind of his like detective skills. And it, it's I thought it was very funny how, you know, like Jason is young. And these kids are kind of bragging that they are, are essentially like hit kids for the penguin. And, and Jason either, you know, with his naivety believes them or, you know, just wants to have something interesting to tell Bruce or, and like a reason to go dress up and run around. And he, he tips off Bruce who goes into his matches Malone persona to mm-hmm. go to the iceberg lounge. And, um, you know, Jason still comes, even though he's not supposed to. And we get this very interesting exchange where this kid meets Jason as Robin and quickly realizes that this is not the same Robin that he met. And it, it, you know, it's not Dick. And he, he is like taken aback by this. And he, he like tries to tell the cops that Batman is making an army of boys and that we have to stop him. And I just thought that was so both like disturbing and also funny. Yes, I agree. I thought that stuff was excellent. I think that we have talked on the show in the past about how Jason is an underutilized Robin mm-hmm. for so many ways and how all the Jason stories now tend to be this sort of morose Jason that is certainly not the reality if you go back and read comics with Jason as Robin. And this is a really good job of I, mean, I, I, I tend to believe that he does think that those kids are killing the, 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 those, those kids are killers for the penguin. Mm-hmm. I think he believes that. And I think it's a really good interaction with him and Bruce. I, I like this a lot. Yeah. This is, I think this is actually very, very good. It's funny how these like two stories are kind of like running at an like inverse quality <laughs> where, you know, yes. when this started, we really didn't like it. Um, but now I like it significantly more than the main story. So you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we return, we may have a special guest. So stay tuned. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, 
back to your show. And we are back. And look who's here. It's Vince. Hey, it's 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 Tony So. Here he is, here he is with, with his, his wife, wife. Carmela, yeah. <laughs> um, but we're here to talk about uh Just League Annual 2022, written by Brian Bendis, illustrated by Sanford Green. This was delayed a, a few weeks, and so this was supposed to be the first like, like the prelude to the Justice League versus the Legion of Superheroes book, but it came out in the middle of that because that's what Bendis comics tend to do. Um, and we had sort of been talking in Lad's chat about some of the dialogue on this being no bueno, <laughs> being just your standard uh, in a Bendis, Bendis book. What? Yeah. yeah, there there is specifically a section that involves um, John Kent and Solomon Grundy where it's like the world's worst who's on first routine. It's just, it's, it's terrible. It's just got, it's got to be your bull. Exactly. Um, but overall, Zach, what did you think of this, uh, this issue? Um, uh, Constant crisis is going to be the next crisis book. Did you catch that? I, I did see that. I, I want to, I want to bust out a constant craving pair. I was just, I was going to say, I want to pause. <laughs> I want to sing some Katie Lang now. Zach doesn't know um, who Katie Lang is. No, he doesn't. Wait. Maybe I do. <laughs> <laughs> if you let's put it this way. If you heard constant craving, you, yeah, you'd probably be able to sing parts of it. Yes. I, the chorus of constant craving. I think you could probably hum along to. Yeah. I know who, I know who Katie Lang is. There you go. Uh, they're on. Uh, they're on a killer song. Oh yeah, that is I was, true. I was gonna say she did that album with Nico Case and uh, Laura Veers. That's oh okay. Good. Oh yeah, Caseling Veers. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, quite good. All right, so I know who that. I know who she is. Okay. I'm sorry for doubting your Katie Lang knowledge. Anyway, talk about the book. Uh, oh. to a Katie Lang three cast. Sure. Um, the art is really good. Omac is always cool. The the story is nonsense. Um, although it does do one thing that I always love in comics, especially like future stories where it's like the person from the future is like, oh, it's so-and-so. You're going to be really awesome one day. Yes. And Bendis does it with both Naomi and Black Adam. Um <laughs> It's it's basically in Bill and Ted when they say, so how do the princesses for us? And they say, what? It's a you'll see. That's, that's, that's essentially the, the gag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Vince, what did you think of this? Um, I love the art. I cannot heap enough praise onto Sanford Green. And I, and I felt that, obviously, before this issue. Um, but being as though like I know green has done some like Marvel stuff and some uh, creator own stuff. I haven't read much of any of that. Uh, I've, I've experienced greens work like through osmosis. Right. Sure. Um, and I really like it, but, but reading a full story uh, with this art is just glorious. I, I loved everything about the art. Um, the colors too. Who who is the colorist on this? Um, give me one second. I have it right here. Um, oh, I have it. It's um, 
it's Matt Herms and Sanford Green. Mm, really, really great. Great job with the colors. Very warm. And then at other times, kind of like intentionally washed out and classic looking. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, really, really, really nice stuff. Um, one of the things I really appreciate about Green is that um, the none of this is what you would consider um house style by any means or on model even like all all the characters faces and physiques are very different you know um doesn't doesn't rely on using the same body types or 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 facial structure and it really gives these characters that we've spent a lot of time with over the years and know really well it gives them different personalities. You know, I don't think I've seen a Diana that quite looks like this, you know? Yeah. There's two characters in particular. I I wanted to highlight with that. I really like how his flash is like super svelte and like rail thin. And it's just a really like Like a runner. Yes. You just look at him and you think he's a long distance runner. And then his Arthur Curry, his Aquaman is just a beefy boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Really, just really smart artist. You can, you can just tell like, um, and just tons of, tons of effort here. No, no shortcuts or anything taken. Just really, really a joy to look at. And then reading it was a whole other (laughs) animal. And I just, part of it's, part of it's my fault. Like part of it, I'm going to admit is. I don't know if any of it's your fault, honestly. Let me tell you where it's my fault. I have become so used to reading these ticks from Bendis that when I see them, I, I start to stop paying attention and that's on me. You know, I, what happens is I get so sick of seeing the back and forth and seeing the no, 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 yes. (laughs) Type thing that um, I, I just, I like I, my eyes gloss over and then I do end up missing like important context and important story beats. And that is my fault for not giving the the words, the full attention that they need when you read a comic, but it's also been this fault for relying on these same ticks that I'm just after decades of it, I'm just so sick of it. You know, um, we talked about the Solomon Grundy scene and what we were kicking back and forth in the DMS is that I, I didn't really know what, I didn't really know what that scene was trying to get across. Like, okay. The, like I knew it was Solomon Grundy they were talking about, but I, because I had glossed over, I was like, well, wait a minute. Why are they expecting to see him here? And why are they shocked that he's not? And why is it important? What is Solomon Grundy important to this story? All of a sudden, like I, I just, my brain shuts down when I see uh, the back and forth that, that is um, just so played out to me, even though within it, there, there could be some important information I'm missing. And I'm just at the point where I'm just disconnecting from this. And I should love this. Like the premise is like you said, stuff that we like Uh, OMAC is very good. OMAC's role here is very fun as, as kind of the, the, um, I guess, Rip Hunter uh, <laughs> role in this story. Um, I love that it is an homage. One of the things I picked up on is that this whole 
issue seems to be an homage to a Justice League annual from the past. And I can't remember what year it was or what um, number it was, but uh, they, they use the old school, like Silver Age uh, chapter breaks. I love the chapter breaks. That's cool. Yeah. And specifically, there are references to, um, ah, shit, I put it in my notes here. Um, uh, talk amongst yourselves. There's a reference to something that, that is, is straight up from like an old J. Oh, uh, it's Epic, the Lord of Time. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. That's actually, I think, so I'm sure the one that you're talking about is older. But I remember a Justice League annual from like around 2010. Yeah, it would have been around 2010 that had that same character in it and had a very similar premise. Um, Okay, let me look this up while you guys talk a little bit. Sure. Um, So, yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, uh, a couple of things about this. I like the idea of this story a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a sucker for time travel stories. I'm a sucker for unconventional pairings of the justice leagues like naomi going off with apolita and diana i like that i like it like zach said when we get the you know queen uh queen naomi stuff or that like when it's handled in the most bendacy way possible but when the the guy is like wait a minute are you black adam when he's bad or are you black adam when he's great because eventually he just becomes great and like i like those sort of hints at the future i think that stuff's cool it's just this terrible terrible dialogue but it's buoyed by such good art that to me this issue still comes out kind of as a win because of how good the art is i really love like vince mentioned the way that green makes each character sort of his own in this and you know i think one of the issues i have with jonathan kent as a character is sometimes you can't tell that he is significantly younger than the rest of the justice league but here he looks like a kid in the best possible way. You know, there's just there, there's a lot of good touches like that. And I recognize that Sanford Greed probably had, you know, more time than usual to do a 40 page Justice League issue. And he probably doesn't want to do this every every month. But damn, this book would look so much better if Sanford Green was the one doing it. And that's no offense to anybody we've had on Justice League. Justice League has had pretty good art throughout, but Green is just on a different level here. Yeah. Okay. I think I found what I was referring to and I'm actually, I'm conflating two issues. Um, One is a JLA 80 page giant, which I think is the one that Zach is talking about. I think that's it. Yeah. Yep. It was uh, from 2009. I do remember this. Um, And then, but the one that I was thinking of is not an annual, I guess, but it was a tie-in to Christ's on infinite earths. that I would have read back when we read that event. And I read some of the, some of the issues around it. Um, but it was a, it was an issue of JLA that, that featured that character as well. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I, I do think, especially with that 80 page giant though, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Bendis was more thinking of that story. Um, Cause I feel, I feel like it just is a fitting character to throw into an annual like this that doesn't really i mean do you guys see think this, this is probably only going to connect to his justice league 
uh, Legion of Superheroes stuff, right? Like, you don't, do you really think there's a crisis beyond this? Oh, only in so much as if like the great darkness stuff is a crisis that he's working on, you know? Yeah, but not specifically the stuff that we see with. Um, maybe. Maybe. Okay. I could yeah. like some of the OMAC stuff and even the Epoch stuff, I could see. Maybe. Okay. I want Sanford Green to get to do a mini series or at least like a one shot that is the um, Hawkwoman in the future with OMAC. Yes. Hmm. That, that actually sounded like an interesting story. I don't, you know, I don't necessarily want Bendis to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's bad. It it the Bendis stuff here is not great, but I will yeah. say, you know, we've talked a lot about the the, the Bendis, um, you know, the sort of the, the Bendis effectiveness in his run, or how he, maybe he didn't live up to expectations that we thought he would live up to, or whatever. But I do think when you look at this and you see where John Kent and Naomi are. This is the stuff that Bendis should be most proud of that those two yeah. characters have been built. We've said this before, but have been built up. But I think reading this, those characters seem like fully integrated into the DC universe at this point. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see. We'll we'll see we'll see what happens from here on out with Bendis at DC, if anything. Um, but that brings us to our final issue of the week, which is a big in. Uh, Strange Love Adventures, eight ludicrous, <laughs> eight ludicrous stories of like, love, and loss. Um, do we want to go through this beat by beat? Or just want to talk about some highlights. I- I'm up for whatever you guys want to do. I well, how long has the show been? Not that I long. Could, we got time. Could, we could, yeah, we could talk about. I could talk a little bit about every one of these. Okay, sure. Um, so the first story is called Lightning in a Bottle. It is by Stephanie Phillips and John Samarvia. Sam, Sam, Samarv, Samarva. I'm struggling tonight with my words. Uh, this is a Harley Quinn story, although it's kind of a Black Adam and Shazam story. I thought that this was a fun story because of sort of the framing device we find out at the end of it that made it a more fun story. I do want to note something here, though, which is that I think over the past few years, anytime that DC has done a Valentine's Day romance one shot, it has been much more balanced in terms of the the types of relationships that we've seen depicted here. And this is, aside from two really strange stories we'll get to later, all of these are um, heterosexual love stories, except for the Harley Quinn one which reads like a heterosexual love story and then has a little twist at the end. Mm-hmm. But I think it's interesting that DC did not want to make this a more inclusive title. But that's, I suppose that's neither here nor there. I'm, I'm, been... I'm just going to go ahead and blame that on Peacemaker. Okay, sure. <laughs> just, sure. I'm going to decide that. Sure. Uh, although uh, Peacemaker has a prominent lesbian relationship in the show, so. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I mean the story in here. Right, got it. They had to get they had to get a, a animalistic romance in. Here. I wasn't even talking about that as one of the two weird <laughs> stories, actually. Peacemaker, much like Drake, considers himself a lesbian. <laughs> That's true. 
that is a joke that they would do on that show, by the way. 100%. Yes, it is. Um, Vince He's a, he is a lesbian for Lady Liberty. Uh, and 80s hair metal. Sure. Uh, so, Vince, what did you think of this first story? I, th- I think it might have been the best one in this book. Yeah. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it from beginning to end. Like you said, it had a it, it had a fun twist at the end, but also just the twist in the middle of Black Adam seeing Harley Quinn and saying like, hmm, that, there, there's like an agent of chaos that would be good at my side or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a pairing that I think is just oddball enough to work. And, you know, for a short story like this, I think it works very well. Uh, I think the art was really playful. It's what you come to expect while not looking specifically like any of the artists that have recently worked on Harley Quinn. It is of a piece with the kind of tone that Harley Quinn's going for generally. Mm-hmm. Um and there was a forgetting Sarah Marshall reference in it. <laughs> there was Zach, a... you, Zach, you know that one? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Okay. I have seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall, but it's been a long time. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we got to do. What something. was the reference? Oh, it was something about uh, Harley's talking about like how the things you can do after you break up with somebody. You can do this. You can go to Hawaii and okay, see your okay. ex on a whatever. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, I get it. Yes, fall in okay. love with Mila Kunis. Okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah. I thought that that was maybe something that I, I I like didn't make that connection, and I was like, oh, did did Ashton Kutcher do that in real life? Is that something oh. that happened? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was really charming, genuinely funny. Didn't overstay its welcome. Very good. Zach, any thoughts on this first story? Uh, it, yeah, I, I liked both the twist at the end, but particularly also the twist with Black Adam. I thought that was very funny and unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, Harley in a like Shazam costume kind of inadvertently gave me some countdown vibes. Yes, I had the same, th- <laughs> I had the same note, yes. Oh, I thought you were going to say it inadvertently gave you something else. Oh. I, he got that after the countdown vibes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, uh, I, I killed that. Yeah, nothing else. Yeah, this was fine. This, is, this was funnish. Funnish, I, yeah. I, I enjoyed this story. I, I thought that this was going to lead to um, different types of stories than we got based on this one. But that's okay. I, I think you're right, Vincent. This probably is the best one. Uh, the second story is called The Grod Couple, written by Rich Duick and illustrated by Scott Eaton. And this is a story <laughs> where Gorilla Grod goes to Iris Allen for romance tips. I don't know. I thought this one was actually pretty good. <laughs> it's it's this is goofy it's a good fun. gag. It is a good gag. Um, I just think it. I think that the, it overstays its welcome a little bit. I think it was just a little bit too long. Like the same jokes with like Grod getting mad and the waiter dropping stuff that happens a couple times. Like yeah. all this could have been a little bit shorter. But the best part of this is that th- this is another reference that Zach won't get. Vince might get it. Is the person 
the fisherman who's catching uh, lobsters is singing Brandy by Looking Glass. I got that reference. What? He's a Guardians of the, the Galaxy boy. Oh, I the forgot. Galaxy boy. I forgot. Come I'm on. sorry. I forgot that that you're the James Gunn boy. Yep. Yeah. You for, you forgot that uh, Kurt Russell literally explains the lyrics of that song in the text <laughs> of the movie. I only saw Guardians two once, and I had a very high fever during. I was very sick, so I don't know. I don't remember barely anything about that movie. Mm. Um, Nothing of value was lost. I, I, I know that, but uh, Zach doesn't. So uh, it's the Zach, only good one. This is, this is one of three. This. Talk about this more, Zach. Talk about this. Yeah, the, the ground couple. Yeah, it was fine. I said I liked it. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you'd have slightly more to add to that. I, I mean, it was cute. I don't know, <laughs> Vince. Um, yeah, it was maybe my like. It, it was upper half in this in this uh, anthology for sure. Um, a lot of fun. I think very very cute for. Barry to kind of have to help out Grodd if he wants to make Iris happy. And, and uh, it's also, even though Grodd is not one of the rogues, it's very fitting that Barry is helping um, one of, one of his rogues uh, accomplish something, you know, he's always been kind of not buddy, buddy is the wrong word, but you know, like there's always been like a give and take as far as like, Barry and his villains goes right. Yes, absolutely. Um, and I think it, to see that applied to Grodd is is fun, especially in a story that's not like ostensibly in continuity or anything like that. Um, and I did. I think like Scott Eden's art is fine, but one of the things I noticed about this issue versus some of the anthology we've talked about recent anthologies and how we thought, at least I thought maybe the stories were a little weaker than they had been, but the art was really top notch. Mm -hmm. I feel like in this anthology, not to nobody here is doing bad work by any means. It's just a lot more ordinary, you know, I'll agree with that. Yeah. I I think across the board, all these artists are just they're they're They are kind of like house style artists to a certain degree. And they're doing a little bit more ordinary superhero adjacent work. So, um, just something I noted didn't really like ruin any of this for me, but um, you know, this story and a few others, it it really stood out that like, Oh, okay. DC is not really swinging for the fences with this one, as far as like getting an artist to do 10 pages of something silly, you know? Right. Right. Um, Yeah. That's, that's exactly how I feel about this. The art was, was fine. And the story was cute, and that's it. Next up, we have Love of Country, which is a peacemaker story written by Rex Ogle, illustrated by Geraldo Borges. So Rex Ogle, or Ogle, uh, you know what he was one of the writers on? That uh, Justice League of America 80-page giant that Zach <laughs> and I were just talking yes. about? Was. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, also, the world of Flashpoint 1 through 3. Oh, Christ. Yes. yes. So aside from a Superman red, red and blue story, this is his first DC work in like a decade. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> I hope it's another decade because this wasn't very good. Oh, man. Uh, no, don't do fine. Rex like that. No, it's fine, Rex. It, it, it's fine. Um, I thought that this, I mean, th- I thought he wasn't going to give eagerly the Valentine at the end. I thought it was going to be that America is his Valentine. 
Mm. Which I think is one is not better than the other. They're both kind <laughs> of lame ideas, but at least the America is my Valentine is not would be a little bit less uh, predictable, maybe. But this is this is also clearly the first time we've gotten a John Cena peacemaker. Like <laughs> yes. in every way, this is a John Cena peacemaker. Yeah. Um, anything to add to this, boys? Um, I first of all, no more peacemaker for me, please. Um, Isn't it funny how DC can really just like. <laughs> just kill a thing just like yeah. doubled down into it way too hard um yeah 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 and it often seems to be suicide squad related oh yes. yeah it is always they're trying really hard to get their next like harley quinn or deadpool i know i know deadpool's not theirs but like that's what they want they want like the they want like the twisted oddball uh hero that suddenly becomes inexplicably popular you yeah. know um and I mean, the difference is that i feel like a lot of times that stuff starts with the comics and then bleeds out elsewhere but everything about peacemaker starts with that show or i guess it starts with the suicide squad movie and then like yeah. they're, they're, they're trying to retrofit the comics to that and that never works as well as when it starts in the comics right for comics, right. you know. But I feel like suicide. Oh man, I really don't know how to quantify this. But we could do a whole show about, and we and we just might when our uh, Patreon show about Suicide Squad comes up. We could do a whole show about how DC has been trying to make fetch happen with Suicide Squad for like ten years now. Literally, literally yeah. ten years. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like. It, it is it's just popular enough like they are almost there right like it's maybe not for you or me or zach but they want it to be they want it to be their crossover hit with like an edgier group of comics readers or people who haven't read comics yet but they want an edgy into comic book superhero world right mm-hmm. they're so close because they, they keep trying like subtle variations on this exact same tone, but it's never quite as popular as it needs to be. I feel like it's never, it's never quite popular enough to be a box office smash. It's never quite popular enough to not get relaunched with a different writer in a year or two, you know, like it's never quite there and they're trying so hard. <laughs> well, I, I guess my question is, do you think there's any way they could get more popular than they are right now? Or is this, is this the peak of Suicide Squad popularity? They're going to have to find a way to get Batman on it. <laughs> God damn you for even putting that up out into the universe. <laughs> you know it's coming, by the way. Maybe not in the movies, but there will be a comic where, like, you'll never guess who's a member of this Suicide Squad team. It'll be it'll be a black label book called Batman and the Suicide Squad. It'll be written by Brian, Brian Azzarello. Brian Azzarello, illustrated by let's see, um, Eddie Barrows, mm. and uh, it's gonna suck. <laughs> yep, and we're That's all it. gonna we're all gonna 
soy ourselves uh, when we find out that Bruce Wayne has a bomb in his brain. Can you even do that? I don't think you can. I don't think they don't even let me. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. Okay. Task Force X. (laughs) Let's move on to the next story, which is called uh, Ritual of Love. It's a Blue Beetle story by Andrew Marino, who is one of the editors in this book, and Pablo M. Collar. I feel like this story was maybe the most unique approach to a love story. Like this one, it's felt the most creative for a love story to me. Um, the art was pretty good. I'd put this in the top half of my stories here, I guess. Uh, Zach, what'd you think of the Blue Beetle story? It was fine. The art was really good. I'll give it that. That was the thing that I liked the most about it. Um, the story itself was just kind of like fine to me. Vince? Yeah, it made me want a Blue Beetle book with Jaime Reyes with, you know, potentially this same artist. Without Keith um, Giffen? Anywhere near it? Oh, God. Inshallah. Um, um, oh, I'm so mad I lost my train of thought. Sorry. <laughs> the thought of him writing another. Um, yeah, I, I, I think... Well, I think, Brian, you're right that it's the most unique approach because it's like this weird alien set of um, romantic rules or whatever. But I also do I also do think we have seen the like um, our our earthling main character runs into the weird mating rituals of an alien race, you know, in things like Futurama and stuff like that, like I've seen that done before and maybe in a funnier way um but you're not wrong that that it is a like for a strange love adventures it is probably the most unique concept for a story uh in here and also one that maybe adheres to the promise of the book the most yes whether it's the best story or not um i don't know um also a wedding singer reference in there. Yes, there is. Yes. Now, 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 would you say forgetting Sarah Marshall or wedding singer? Oh, wedding singer. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Although I like both. Yeah. There was a time where I would have said forgetting Sarah Marshall completely. But as a man on the, on the edge of 40, I will say wedding singer. Yeah. Uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall. Would you say, would you say you're ed- edging? Yes, of course. Uh, always edging. Um, no, I, I would say that uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall has funnier jokes in it, but Wedding Singer is a better movie. Mm. Yes, I think that's true. I think like most of those, uh, I know it wasn't a, a Apatow comedy specifically, but it was Apatow adjacent. I believe he um, produced it. I think. Maybe, maybe produced, yes. Not directed. Um, but uh, it, it does suffer from being a little overlong. And, yeah. and I think Wedding Singer is pretty much a tight 90 minutes. It is, yes, correctly. yes. And it does end with Steve Buscemi singing... Yes. Uh, Spando uh, Ballet. Yeah, Spando Ballet, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's got that going for it. And, and as long as we're on this tip, John Lovitz is in the movie for like oh, 90 minutes, seconds. But yeah. it's the best. He steals the whole movie. He steals the whole movie. Best role He's of his, his life. Mind. 
<laughs> Good luck finding another wedding singer who can shake like this. <laughs> yeah, that is the best role John Lovett's ever played in the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, last thing I'll say about forgetting Sarah Marshall, the Dracula musical is the best part of that movie. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yes. The Muppet Dracula musical is the best part of that movie. Yes, I I thought I was going to die uh, the first time I saw that. So th- there's a scene early on in the movie when he's depressed and he's crying while playing the Muppet show theme on the piano. Yep. And my wife turned to me and said, that's you. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> she's not wrong. So <laughs> anyway, oh, that's, this- <laughs> that's really dark. <laughs> uh, this has been Brian and Vince alienate Zach further. Um no, uh, so up next is, I'm going to say my favorite, maybe not the best or my favorite story in here, which is In the Name of Love. It's a Shazam and Superman story by uh, Che Grayson and John Michael. It's a it's a Clark Kent, Billy Batson story more than it's a Superman Shazam story. And I don't exactly know why Clark has to be the one that Billy reaches out to for help in this situation, but it's a very sweet story. I think it's a good Clark Kent story, and I love a good Clark Kent story. And the art was was pretty good. I I, I enjoyed th- this is a very sweet tale, and I enjoyed this one. Um, Vince, what do you think of this? I liked it quite a bit. Um, I I think this is one that maybe went on a little bit too long. Um, sure, yeah. But 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 yeah, there are some just a couple of really sweet moments between Billy and Clark, and and um um. The and then it, it does come around at the end with how Billy kind of like endears himself to that girl he likes. Mm-hmm. Really nice stuff, really sweet stuff. Um, I think I don't know, even saying that it that it overstays its welcome a little bit is probably uh nitpicking. It's that's just how I felt compared to something like the like it felt like it was a notch away from the Harley Quinn thing because. There was just like there was a, one a, one twist less one less yeah. twist rather yeah one yeah one less but I think it was just trying to be sweet and I think it succeeded at that so yeah re- really nice story I would say probably upper half as well Zach what do you think I thought this one was really dumb <laughs> oh <laughs> mostly for like the VR component and that like, was that, that was, was dumb. very that was muddled dumb. like I did not understand. It like really kind of confused me on like what was happening in that like if Billy was doing those things at Shazam in VR or if like he was outside like if the I think everybody else was in in the the VR place. No, I think everybody was I think all the wedding guests were in the VR, but the robbers and the heroes were outside the VR. But like what were the robbers? Like the people I don't were know. all in the <laughs> same VR place, were they? Like, to me, that's the least important part of the story. I guess it was just really weird, and I I didn't follow it, and I was like, why the fuck is this happening? Because it was also it was like a VR wedding that was Greece and Jersey Shore themed. Like, no, it was at the Jersey Shore. That's it's just like that's a okay, place. Yeah, but it went in VR. Yeah, because they they were in Philadelphia. And they were pretending right. they were at the Jersey Shore. Uh, okay, but it's still like, uh, okay, uh, Jersey Shore themed is not the most accurate way of saying that. Fine, yeah, but it was like at Jersey Shore and it was Greece themed and it was in VR. Yes. It was just like a step too far. I agree with that. <laughs> it was weird. Um, yeah, I didn't love it. 
I'm a Scrooge. And we already had one good Shazam story in this issue. I didn't hey, think we needed another one. Let let me have my Shazam stories, okay? We never they're so rare. Oh yeah, they're so rare. They are. We never have Shazam. It's not like he's never been in every single event that DC's ever done. He does nothing on those events and you know it. <laughs> he it shows up on the covers. It, it is funny how he always shows up and never does anything. Yeah, it's always that is, that is good. The way it is. Anyway, up next is uh, a really strange story called Service by Devin Grayson and Roger Robinson, where it's an Alfred story, and it's all about his love for the Bat family. It's not romantic love. They, they make that very clear. <laughs> like, you know, uh, he's not looking for their buttons. Just to be clear, <laughs> I have never had sex with it. That's, that's a, it's always sunny thing. <laughs> Just to be clear. I, I was going to say, he makes sure he's not looking for that button. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, I get why they want to do a story that isn't like romantic love, I guess. But the whole point of this to be strange love stories is to have like, you know, weird, fun stories. And then to have this like sad Alfred, I love my family and Tom King killed me. It's just I don't really I don't really get why it's here. Yeah. I agree. I I, I like seeing Devin Grayson back in the fold. Um uh and i just think like one the 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 story is a little misplaced here it's i think it's like really well done but it doesn't strike the tone you expect to see in this anthology and um it's touching but i feel like it maybe would have been a little bit better somewhere else, you know? Yes. That's weird. That's weird to say. Cause like, it's a perfectly fine story. Just. Yeah. I don't know. Like I you could see this in any Batman anthology. Like if, yes. if somebody did, if, if somebody did like, uh, you know, the Batman 85th anniversary, whatever, or the Alfred Pennyworth 80th anniversary here, here's the story that would fit perfectly in there and have no real like love component to you would read it in that context and you wouldn't be like oh this is a love story <laughs> right no, yes just about the, the the classic butler we know and love um yes also in that final portrait at the end I, are there two barbaras or what's going on there hang on now i have to look Lovers. zach what did you think of this while brian looks uh, uh i think we need a, a mini about uh alfred at butler school <laughs> <laughs> What if Downton Abbey, but Alfred was one of the oh my gosh, ballots? Or oh, yes, please. Okay. All right, so in this portrait, from from right to left, we have Alfred, and then who who is the, who's the silver fox there next to him? Hang on, I'm loading it up too. I'm pulling it up. Hold okay, on. what page is it in our in our? It thing? is page sixty two of our PDF. Okay, hang on here little little how the sausage is made yeah so I, i'm yeah. guessing okay. so it's alfred on the right that's yeah. jason jason next silver. to him right then we got yeah. uh duke duke in front of duke is that supposed to be steph i think I, that's cass cass yeah doesn't look like any it's it's probably i'm, I'm sorry the, I, I meant cass yes i'm sorry i meant cass yeah it doesn't look anything like cass though yeah no then dick is next to her yeah uh-huh. babs in the wheelchair 
Yeah. Yeah. Damien with his with Bruce's hands on his shoulders. Bruce. Yeah. Stephanie. Miscolored and, hair. Yes. And, and Tim. Right. Yeah. Because okay. that doesn't that doesn't look like Stephanie at all. That's can, like. Can I make a, a wild claim here? Sure. That this art, this particular portrait is based off of somebody who's reading the Webtoons comic. That yes, I because yep. this looks way more like the webtoons version of these characters <laughs> than anything else we've seen. Sure, I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. Except all except Steph has blonde yeah. hair in that, which she's supposed to. Yeah, I think it'd be funny if they just they had the dabs of Burnside and the Oracle dabs. <laughs> uh. <laughs> just there's two now. Yeah, there you there. Now are you all happy? <laughs> okay, here's a story I can't believe we have to talk about. Just <laughs> oh, romance on Dinosaur Island. It's a Sergeant Rock you story. Say that again. By Jackson hey, Lansing. They ain't, they ain't lying to you. No, they're not. It was written by Christian Duce, who is like Christian Duce is one of like the three biggest names on this book artistically, and he has to draw a story about Sergeant Rock deciding to stay on Dinosaur Island. <laughs> So you can watch some raptors fuck. That's literally what it's about, folks. And we don't even get to see it. No, we don't. <laughs> uh, um, by the way, you saying Christian Duce is one of the like top three names on this thing. Um, you know, again, no offense to Christian Christian Duce, who does like fine work here, but that's saying something yeah, <laughs> but, yeah but, it it, is. but it's phil hester who does the next one yep christian yep. duce and uh scott eaton those are the three biggest artists on this right i think i think so yeah i yeah. would say yeah this is a very strange story yeah i don't i don't love it <laughs> actually pr- probably my least favorite in this thing running away so it basically, uh, a lot of this story is told through like, um, like photographs or like uh, diary entries. And one of the photos in the last page is it appears Sergeant Rock just holding on to the tongue of a raptor who's sticking it out <laughs> for no reason. And I don't know why it's there at all. Um, he's teaching him how to do. He's teaching him what that mouth can do. Let's yeah. just say that. It's a literal tug job. He's tugging on his tongue. <laughs> Get the tug job behind tacos, 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 tacos. That's a that's a Reno nine one one joke that Vince will hate because Vince isn't like Reno nine one one. I don't know. Sorry. Thank, wait, thanks for outing me. I hope there's not a ton of Reno nine one one fans yeah. who listen to this. Uh, Tom Lennon himself is a is a listener. So, <laughs> congratulations. You've alienated one eleventh of the state. Um. Yeah, uh, uh, Tom Lennon. I think he was great in. Um, oh God, think of a movie that he was in. I love you, man. Yes, yes, yep. Boy, we're on our Jason Siegel shit today. We are. We are. Living uh, on the lighted stage. Uh, who's up for an excited freaks and geeks riff? Come on. <laughs> Why? Well, I, I think we should change our podcast to uh, the extended Epitau three cast. <laughs> yeah, that won't be problematic at all. <laughs> Uh, again zach is just sitting in silence yeah. th- thinking about i i have seen i love you man i've not watched freaks and geeks okay uh, freaks and geeks is fantastic fantastic 
Um, Zach, do you have any thoughts about this crazy story? <laughs> Love blooms on the battlefield. <laughs> All right. Last up, we got Dinner for Two by Rom V and Phil Hester. Uh, it's a it's a Batman and Riddler story. Uh, Phil Hester is great. I love seeing his stuff here. Uh, this story is fine. I, I liked this story a lot. I, the art, I think, is mostly why I liked it, but it, the writing was also very good. I thought I like Riddler stories. So, um, yeah, no, I liked this one. Yeah, this was my second favorite after the after the Harley Quinn one. I think, um, yeah, the writing was very smart. It was, I was worried it was going to get a little bit dialogue heavy or, or narration heavy, I should say. Um, and then it didn't. Like, I, I think it was all very appropriately done for the type of story it was telling. This kind of noirish riddle story about, he's trying about, to solve. About how Riddler's down bad? Yes. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. About all the about Riddler being an incel, basically. Yeah. Um, and as far as the Phil Hester art goes, like I, I don't think there is any bad Phil Hester. Like we talked, we've joked before about like this is the good Phil Hester, this is the bad Phil Hester. I don't I don't really think there is a bad Phil Hester in the way that there's like a um who was the original one that we would do that with? um oh um philip tan yes yes we're like where it just seems like two completely different artists you know yeah but what i will say is compare the phil hester on this to the phil hester i think over in bendis's justice league and this is so much better yes and i don't know if that's due to the script because with with bendis of course he's having to draw lots of dialogue and what have you here hester kind of gets to let loose with some very uh fun uh panel tricks and there's a lot of like there's one early on where like the batmobile is bursting out of batman's cape which is like looks like it has like flower petals or i think that's supposed to be flower petals or snow or something the reason i say flower petals is because in the previous page like Bruce has a bouquet of flowers he's holding mm-hmm. that kind of looks similar to maybe what you would imagine the petals coming from his cape, but that's really striking. Then in the next page, he's like leaping over the rooftops and there's all this smoke around him from the chimneys, just really beautiful uh, staging on all these pages. And, uh, and then what really sold it, like, what really knocked it out of the park for me is the last page where it turns out that it's really just a date between Batman and the Riddler. (laughs) And he does like a, a Dan Marino from Ace Ventura where he's like, you're a weird guy. He's weird guy. (laughs) Got any more of that gum? (laughs) Uh, I forget something about, that's none of your goddamn business. That's none of your goddamn business at all. Thank you for staying out of my personal affairs. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, talk about problematic yeah yeah <laughs> that's a rough one zach you enjoy it 
<laughs> you enjoy Ace Ventura, Zach? I think I saw part of an Ace Ventura <laughs> when I was like eight or nine years old, maybe. Uh, was he talking out of his rear? Yeah, yeah actually, I think so. Part of okay. me. I need to ask you a few questions. <laughs> Man, the bar was really low back then, wasn't yeah, it? it was. The early 90s hit different than than they do than than comedy this these days you couldn't make that movie today you <laughs> no. couldn't actually you, li- you no. literally couldn't and 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 thank god for that yes exactly <laughs> so that scene of him delivering the package in the beginning though uh just like kicking it down the hallway is very funny <laughs> yes yes very funny and then he gets some 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 sloppy at the end <laughs> yeah oh yes there's that too <laughs> i i wasn't even thinking about that uh, uh, she's just giving him a hug. That's, yeah. that's what you. That's what you tell your kids when you're watching. Of course, yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anyway, we're done here, folks. <laughs> We've been talking about uh, a lot of comedies. Uh, stay tuned next week for our Johnny Dangerously chat. Um, my, my favorite comedy of the '80s, but that's a whole other story. Anyway, uh, Vincey, what comes out next week? Ah, fucker. Um. Boy, you go into that fast. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. Uh, Aquaman the Becoming, number six. Batman the Night, number two. Uh, Batman versus Big B, number six. That's got to be the last one, right? Mercifully so. That that um, might be a 12-er. I'm going to look while you're... No. Catwoman, number 40. Uh, Soul Plumber, number five. Detective Comics, 1053. Green Lantern, number 11. Hardware, number four. Justice League, number 73. Nightwing, 89. Nubia in the Amazons, number five. Refrigerator Full of Heads, number four. Robins, four. Uh, Suicide Squad King Shark, number six. Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, number eight. The Flash, 779. And Wonder Woman Evolution, number... They don't have the number on this. Um, I think it's number four. Yeah. Four? We'll say four. Yeah, but that is the last Big B issue, by the way. Thank God. Oh, man. No more Big B. Aren't we getting more fables soon? Is it, is that still happening? I think I, so. I don't know. Completely forgot about that for a minute until you guys brought up Big B. Yeah. Hey, Paul, you like Big B? You guys are sick. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't. It's a wonder know. anybody listens to this show. <laughs> I don't know anything about fables. Neither do I. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, Bill Willingham. Yeah. Right wing crank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, uh, are you enjoying your shrimp? Yeah. If if you want to get more of this, off, if you <laughs> if you want to get more of this outside the show, you can find two thirds of us on Twitter. I am at Brian. Why would you? Why would you? Yeah, I'm leaving the show after this, actually. This is my last episode. Sorry, everybody. But where where are you on Twitter, though? Uh, I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need Vince, he is uh, doing these routines for his wife who loves it. (laughs) Good night, everybody. All right, I'm I'm log I'm logging off. <laughs> you guys disgust me.